0: Everyone, hello, am I on? Here we go. Uh, my name's Josh, one of the pastors here. Great to see you all here tonight. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, may my words tonight be your words, and may your words give us life and change our lives tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder, have you ever learned something that changes how you do and think about everything? Have you ever learned something that changed how you do and think about everything? Uh, for me as a child, uh, one of my deep beliefs that my parents told me was, share and don't take things from other people. These are the two values that matter most in the world. They shaped me completely as a kid. Uh, I was very conscientious as a child, and so sharing and not taking things off other people was deeply important. When I played with friends and family, I was the one policing, making sure. Are we sharing over here? Are we not taking toys over here? Uh, I would call it being a helpful child. You might call it a snitch. Who knows? Both are probably true. Uh, But this thing kind of extended beyond playing. It extended to sport, right? So my parents started me in a soccer team and I would play and I would be told, your job is to get the ball that is with the other team and you've got to tackle it and get it to your team and then try to get it away from their keeper and their goal. I could not do it. I would not do it. Instead, I would cry on the soccer field. I didn't understand this sport. What do you have to do? It goes against all of my beliefs. What I did was controlled by my deep belief. Have you ever learned something that changed how you do and think about everything? That's a trivial example, right? But God wants you to have a moment like that tonight. In a much more real and profound way, God wants to teach you something tonight that will change how you do and think about everything. Uh, This passage wants to ask us a question and show us the implication of the answer because the answer is something that will save your life and cost you your life. What God wants to teach you tonight will save your life and cost you your life. Uh, He'll do that by getting us to wrestle with two questions in the text. The first one, who is Jesus? The second one, how do you follow Him? Who is Jesus? How do you follow Him? If you're here and you're someone who doesn't know Jesus yet, or you haven't put your trust in Him yet, it is so wonderful you're here tonight. Uh, Tonight, God wants you to wrestle with this one question, who is Jesus? And He wants to show you that the answer is so important that it will determine eternity. If you're here tonight and you're someone who does know Jesus, God wants you to not grow cold to the realities of His Son. He wants to refresh your soul by showing you Jesus in sharp clarity, by showing you a picture of Jesus in His glory. And He wants to reorient. He wants to shake up what we think it means to follow Him and confront us and move us to follow Jesus in the way He truly desires. It's a wonderful passage. Let's have a look at it. Point one, who is Jesus? Have a look at verse seven. Now, Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Jesus has been doing widespread, amazing things. There's intrigue about him everywhere he goes. He's the man that no one can ignore. Uh, even Herod, the ruler of Galilee, he wants to know, who is this man? That's the right question. Uh, if you've heard about the things that Jesus did, that he said, that he claimed to be, it draws you in to find out more. It's the right question. Who is this man? But it's not just the right question because Jesus did amazing things that are worth finding out about. It's the right question because it's the question that Jesus himself asks of us. Have a look at verse 18. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And They answered, John the Baptist Others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Uh, Jesus, he asks his mates, who does everyone say I am? That seems a bit self-indulgent, doesn't it? Have you ever tried to get a group of people before and ask them that question? Hey, who do you say that I am? It's probably not going to go well for you. Uh, Is Jesus, what's he doing? Is he just doing a bit of market research to see, you know, how and where his name is trending to kind of get the right PR? I don't think so. It's that Jesus knows how important it is that people get who he is. There's a range of answers that come back. John the Baptist, Elijah, some say a prophet back from the dead. If I did a poll tonight, they're probably not the answers we'd get back if I asked who is Jesus. But they are answers that reflect two things, I think. They knew that Jesus was significant, his power was undeniable, he's definitely someone but they're not exactly sure what to make of him. We can't put our finger on exactly who he is. And it's still the same today, isn't it? Most people aren't exactly sure what to make of Jesus. It's hard to put your finger on him. But most people know he was someone very significant. He's had some kind of deep significance on our world. Now, weirdly, did you notice Jesus asks the question and then he ignores the answer? It's because he wants to ask the more important question. He wants to ask the most important question. Have a look at verse 20. But who do you say that I am? The important question isn't, who do they say I am? It's, who do you say I am? That's the question that holds weight. That's the question that determines and changes everything. We'll see the answer to that question will determine where you spend eternity. That's the question Jesus wants to ask you. Who do you say Jesus is? What would you say? How do you get the answer? Well, we're going to look at three massive things that chapter 9 tells us about who Jesus is. So let's have a look at them. First thing we'll learn about Jesus is He is the Christ. Have a look again at verse 20. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. Now, that is a massive, hugely significant answer. Jesus is the Christ of God. That is, he's the long-promised Messiah. Uh, The word literally means anointed one, which is what you do with kings. Uh, Jesus is the promised King of God, the King of all kings, whom God has appointed to rule our world forever with justice and power and authority. He's the one that was promised from the line of David, who would establish God's kingdom and rule it forever because he himself would live forever. This promised King also, he wouldn't just be chosen by God, he would be God himself, God's very Son, divine in his very being. See, he's not just some generic king who's out there. He's the king of each and every one of us. There is no one like this. It's staggering who Jesus is. He is the Christ of God. But our passage says even more. Second, Jesus is the glorious Son of God who will save his people. Have a look at verse 28. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. It's an incredible description of what's normally called the transfiguration because Jesus changed. He becomes so bright that you can hardly look at him. It's like trying to look at the sun. It's incredible. Why? Verse 32, so they could see His glory. It's a huge moment. Jesus revealing a glimpse of His glory, radiating the fullness of the glory of God on the mountain. See, it's it's not actually that Jesus changed, but it's that for a moment, Jesus' appearance reflected reality. The reality is that Jesus is the fullness of God in all His glory, and we just got to see it for a little bit. It's astonishing. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be there? Then we see the Old Testament figures, Moses and Elijah, turn up. What's going on there? Well, I think at least two things. See, they both had encounters with God. Moses had an encounter with God on the mountain, and after he came down, if you remember, he came down the mountain and Moses had to cover his face because his face was shining with the reflected glory of God. People couldn't look at it. But here, Jesus isn't shining reflected glory. He's shining his own glory on full display. It's incredible. But also, Moses and Elijah are ways of summing up the Old Testament. Moses, the lawgiver, and Elijah, the prophet... The point is that all the law, all the prophets, the whole Old Testament points to Jesus. He's the fulfillment of it all. And they have a conversation. Did you notice what they talk about? Have a look at verse 30. Behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure... Which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. What did they talk about? They talked about his departure. Now, the word there for departure is literally the word Exodus. They talked about his Exodus which is a reference back to the biggest moment in the Old Testament for God's people. The Exodus is where God saved Israel out of slavery in Egypt and made them His very own special people. It was a life-saving, life-changing moment for Israel. And here, Jesus is talking about an exodus. A new Exodus, a better Exodus, more than a nation being sla- saved out of slavery in Egypt. Jesus is talking about His mission to save the whole world from slavery to sin. Jesus is talking about something truly monumental, and also a little weird. Well, it sounds weird to us. It sounds very strange to say, "I'm a slave," doesn't it? I don't feel like a slave. I'm a slave to sin, I don't even know what that thing is, I'm a slave to it. The reality the Bible holds out is that each and every one of us is a slave to sin, whether we know it or not. Sin is to reject, to rebel against the God who made us and we're enslaved by it, we can't help but do it. The desire to live for ourselves, to do whatever we want, it's it's at the heart of all of us to live without God, to ignore God like he's dead to us and doesn't matter. It's a slavery that will put us under God's judgment and lead to death. It's awful. But Jesus says he's bringing a new exodus, a new moment where he will save his people out of their slavery, the thing we need the most. Jesus is remarkable, isn't he? In every sense of the word, he's the Christ of God, the glorious Son of God, the one who will lead his people and save them. How will he do it? Well, that's the third thing we learn about Jesus. He's the Christ of God, the glorious Son of God, who came to suffer, to die, and to rise. Have a look at verse 22. The Son of Man, he's talking about himself, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day rise again. Jesus, the Christ, the eternal King, came to die. Does that take your breath away? It's staggering. And it's the heart of Christianity that Jesus is God, the perfect and eternal King who deserved nothing but eternity, receiving the praise and glory from everything that He's made. And yet He came to the very thing that He made to suffer and die at the hands of His creation, to die for the people He made so we can be saved and be with Him in glory forever extraordinary. Jesus is the king of kings who would take up a crown of thorns, the one who's dressed in dazzling white, who'd be hung naked on a cross, the one who stood between Moses and Elijah in glory and then would be hung between two criminals on a cross, God the eternal son who lived in perfect relationship with his father, who'd cried on the cross My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he did it for you. This is who Jesus is. Are you blown away by him yet? Do you get why getting who he is is so significant? It's because he is so significant. And there's nothing more significant than what he's done. Who do you say I am? Jesus asks. Who do you say Jesus is? It's desperately important to know. Because if this is who Jesus is, it changes everything. If you get who Jesus is, nothing can be the same. Which is exactly what Jesus goes on to say. See, it's fascinating that Jesus then doesn't go on a long appeal about why we should follow Him. He works hard to show us and tell us who He is, and then the question isn't, should I follow Him? The only question is, how? If you get the greatness, if you get the glory, if you get the love of Jesus, the only thing that makes sense is to follow Him. There's nothing better, nothing else you can do but follow him. So how do you follow him? What does it look like? Well, Jesus tells us. Point two, how do you follow this man? Have a look at verse 23. And he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me. There is no person who's unable to follow Jesus, unable to experience the blessings that come from following him. No one is too far gone. No one has too much of a past. No one has been a hypocrite for too long. No one is too unimportant, too young or too old. No intellectual ability is too low. If anyone would come after me, it's an extraordinary truth. You, you can follow him. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. What's a cross? Uh, You might think it's a bit of jewelry. Maybe a sneaky tat on the inside of the arm. I like those. Uh, Maybe something you put in an old building. I learned, I think that they're on the back of ambulances. It kind of looks a bit funny, but I think they're a cross. If you were in the first century, the cross was an instrument of death. If you saw someone carrying a cross, there was something that you knew about them, you weren't going to see them again. It's a bit like saying, take an electric chair with you wherever you go, or or take a syringe with you that you use to put people to death with. Carry that with you everywhere you go. Jesus is using an image to say, if you're going to follow me, you need to die every day. Die to yourself. Die to your old way of life, where you're the king, where you live in selfishness, where you ignore Jesus. That life is dead. It's finished. And now, every day is lived with Jesus as your king, not yourself. It's a call to die to our dreams, die to our desires. They have no regard or impact or meaning for my life. What is my dreams? Instead, each day is lived prayerfully asking, what would you have me do? Am I using my time, how you'd have me use it? Am I using my stuff, how you'd have me use it? My gifts, my money, Am I conducting my friendships the way you'd have me live them? (coughs) Am I doing my work the way you'd have me do it? Complete submission to the Lordship of Jesus. Dying to myself. Jesus says, that is what it looks like to follow me. If you're a Christian, how are you going with that? I take it that, like me, it's easy to think following Jesus is about getting salvation, then finding a church where you're well-loved and well-supported, and then continuing to live having the same dreams, or having similar dreams that may be just a bit less ambitious. Jesus has changed some of my dreams that are a bit different now. It's like a Christian version of just really the dream I've always had for my life anyway. Jesus says following him is to die. For someone else to have total claim and control over my life. My life is not my own. What would it look like for you to genuinely let Jesus have total claim over your life? To die to the things that you want and live with open palms before him? I'm just going to give you a moment to consider, pray maybe write something down, what would it look like for you to take up your cross daily and follow Jesus in any of those spaces? I'm just going to give you a moment. Now, the crazy thing would be to think about that, pray about it, and then not talk to anyone or not do anything about it. So I encourage you to do that. Following Jesus, it'll cost you everything. It'll cost you your life. It's not easy. But if you get who Jesus is, there's nothing else you want to do. You'll realize, actually, there's nothing else that's right to do. If Jesus is the Christ of God, the King of kings... Then it's his right to demand our lives as his subjects. He's more worthy of living for than we are for ourselves. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He gives us more reasons why. Have a look at verse 24. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And loses or forfeits himself. The great truth at the heart of existence is a great paradox. The only way to save your life is to lose it. And if you want to hold on to your life, remain unaffected by Jesus, you'll lose it. You'll lose your very soul. The only way to gain life, true life, is to give it over to Jesus. Jesus does some mass for us. He gives us an equation. What good is it to gain the whole world but lose yourself, your very soul? Of course, it's no good. doesn't compare. If you're here tonight and you're someone who doesn't follow Jesus yet, again, it's wonderful you're here. You're in the right place. This is the most important thing in your life you can hear. If you get Jesus... And follow him. If you trust him with your life, it'll save your life. There's no other way. If you do follow Jesus, keep going. It's worth it. Nothing else is. No other equation comes close. I love this quote. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jesus finishes with a final reason that gets us to look to the final day. And it's both a warning and an encouragement. Have a look at verse 26. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Following Jesus will look like not being ashamed of Him. It's a great warning, because I take it it's a great temptation. It's tempting to be ashamed of Jesus, to be ashamed of what He says in His Word, to not follow Him, because it's hard to take up your cross less and less and less until you're not following Jesus at all. Jesus says, if that's where you end up, He will be ashamed of you when he comes in glory on the last day. That is a terrifying prospect, isn't it? But the encouragement is that the reverse is also true. For those who continue unashamedly to follow Jesus, we will follow in his footsteps, which is suffering now, take up your cross, and glory then. Sharing in the glory of God forever. So how do you follow Jesus? Take up your cross daily. Lose your life. Die to self. Give yourself fully to Jesus. Trust Him. Live for Him alone. Because giving your life to Him is the only way to save it. It's so good. It's so worth it. But you need to know the cost is high. You've signed up to lose your life. But in doing so, you'll gain it. And so much more. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Now, we see some more examples of what it looks like to follow Jesus fleshed out in the rest of the chapter, and really in the rest of the series. Uh, We'll dive into those things as we go through the next few weeks. Uh, It's things like listening to Jesus, recognizing that true greatness in God's kingdom is to become the least, become a servant, but the heart we need to get behind it all is who is Jesus? We need to know that He's the Christ, God in all His glory, the King of all kings, the fulfilment of the Old Testament, the one who came to suffer and die for us. And the call to any who would come after him is to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. Because if you try to save your life apart from Jesus, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for him, you'll save it. More accurately, He will save it. When Jesus comes in glory on the last day to judge the world, it's those who've recognized who Jesus is and so trust him and give up everything to follow him who will see the kingdom of God and share in his glory forever. I said, God wanted to teach you something tonight that would change how you do and think about everything. Do you see it? When you get the implication of who Jesus is, it'll cost you your life and it'll save your life and you'll know there's nothing better on heaven or earth to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are astonished, blown away by your Son, the Christ, the King, God, full of glory, the one who rules over all things forever and yet knows us and loves us so much so that he would give up all those things to be killed by what he made to save us. Father, help us to see clearly who Jesus is. Help us to love and adore who Jesus is. And please help us to follow him. Help us to give up our life for the one who gives us life, that we might know life forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Josh. Well, there's both uh, great encouragement in what we've heard tonight and a great challenge, I think.